All right, great to have you guys here this morning. My name is Jerry, one of the pastors here, and it is my joy to welcome you and to have us gathered here together. March Madness is upon us. All right, now I know I don't even need to ask if anybody picked the upset of UMBC over Virginia, because we already know the answer to that. But how many people were excited to see that? Like I was. Yes, I mean, I called my little 11-year-old daughter down who cares nothing for college basketball. I'm like, I don't care. You have to watch this. This is history in the making right here. You know, what's really interesting, though, is we had a guy here, first service, that actually went to UMBC, which was pretty exciting for him. It was like the greatest weekend of his life. And actually one of the few of the, uh, you know, 350 million people in this country that knew what that stood for, Right? Seriously, my wife and I were trying to figure it out. We're like, well, BC, I know it's not a Bible college. Uh, British Columbia? I don't even know. University of Maryland, Baltimore County. There it is. But anyway, we love our basketball here in this area especially. But we love Jesus more. Amen? Amen. Good. Glad you're with me on that. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, we are so thrilled that you guys are here and uh, came to be with us here this morning at Northwest Community Church. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, today is a unique day. And on the other side, say, this group of people will never be together like this again. Go ahead. Okay, for some of you, that was a little more than that, but that's okay. But I want us to think about this. And honestly, every time that you step foot into this church or any church... I really hope and pray that there's an element of transcendence that says this group of people will never be gathered in this place like this again with this passage of scripture, with this communicator. And no matter where your church home is, if you're just visiting, whatever else, when you go in, I hope that you just take a moment and step back and realize that. Like what we have here this morning is very unique. You've got a bunch of people in here, each one with different life experiences, each one with different pressures bearing down on them, each one that's excited uh, about different things, and yet we've gathered here as a collective to sit under God's word and to sing out worship songs to him, and I pray that we are open here this morning. That if we could just say, okay, God, we know this is a unique opportunity and we're here for a reason. You've got something for me here this morning because I know that you're always working and we know that your spirit is always trying to prod our hearts and soften our hearts. And we know from scripture that your spirit's trying to open our minds. So this morning, God, I want to be open. I want to be listening to you and I want to be hearing what you want me to do. This morning, we've got a unique opportunity. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 8. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your copy of Scripture or in your device, we're in the second half of Acts chapter 8. And we're going to continue to talk about the scattered church. We're going to continue to talk about the scattered church. Adam spoke last week about how in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, something very unique happened, right? There arose that day a great persecution against the church, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
So here in the history of what we talked about for these first eight chapters, we've got this idea about, all right, the early church was these things. Northwest Community Church, we want to be these things. And here we get to the pinnacle hinge point in Acts chapter 8 that's pretty epic and astounding and significant for us. But just by way of review, if you haven't been around for the last couple of months, we've got these key words that just jumped out at us as a leadership team as we were diving in to the book of Acts. These are the things that the early church was. This is what we want to be. The first one we talked about is you will be witnesses, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That's kind of our key anchor verse for this whole entire series Where Jesus promises that you will be my witnesses. And we talked about how the idea is that's an extension of who Jesus is. We're going to be his representation to the world. That's what the apostles were and that's what we are as well. We talked about how you will be filled, right? Acts chapter 2, that incredible count where the Holy Spirit came down. God now residing within us. This is his temple now. No more temple over there. This is God's temple. We are filled with his power and his goodness. The third one, you will be one. That beautiful passage at the end of Acts chapter 2 where it talked about they were in one heart, one mind, one accord. And nobody had possessions. They shared everything. And there was a sense of awe. And they were devoted to each other and to the apostles' teaching and to the, the word of God and to prayer. And it was just an incredible, amazing church environment, community environment there. But things changed pretty quickly, right? We've got you will be powerful, Acts chapter 3. They go out, they start doing something, and bam, it hits. You will be persecuted. Acts chapter 4, thrown in prison from the outside. The enemy trying to cut down the goodness of God and the spread of his love. You will be bold, right? We talked about the end of Acts chapter 4 where the apostles got together and they prayed for boldness. They said, we don't want to be afraid. We know that this is incredible and we know it's going to hurt, but we believe it's worth it. So they prayed for boldness at the end of Acts chapter 4. You will be generous. Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6, we get the accounts of false generosity, right? We saw that and we remember that, but we also get the idea of God's church exists to reach out to widows and orphans and those in need and to run to the broken in Acts chapter 7, and that's the way the organization is. It's happening, and it's, and it's moving, and it's good. You will be empowered. And that's kind of where we are here today in Acts chapter 8. You will be empowered. Now, it's important that we recognize that in Acts chapter 8, the church became scattered. Okay, it was gathered, and it was great and glorious. Probably the best church that any of us have ever been to. Great teaching and great worship, and yeah, things were hard and things were difficult, but man, there was a spirit of giving and community and love, and then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 8 hit, and the church was scattered. And I wanted to use an illustration up here. If you don't remember anything else from this entire message, I want you to remember this image right here. You guys know what that is? Dandelion, right? If you're listening on the podcast, it's not kind of the yellow flowery part. It's the other thing that's kind of the wispy ball that God created for this plant, as well as lots of other ones for a specific design. The reason it's like that is very loosely held together. It's gathered, but it's loose because it exists to be scattered. And there's a couple of different ways that can happen, right? You could be walking along and, you know, you could see it and you could just kick it. And that thing's going to just explode. And then it's going to be carried along and it's going to replant itself, right? But it can be scattered 
by being kicked. And you look in Acts chapter 8, and that's kind of what happened. Here's the early church. Things are going great. God's moving. Great things are happening. Then all of a sudden, the whole church collectively gets a giant boot from the enemy. And Christians are dragged out of their homes, families separated, thrown into prison, a great persecution. And what that caused to happen is that the, the gospel spread then all throughout the region because of the opposition. I want you to think about that this morning, church. Think about this idea of opposition. Man, it would have been so easy for them as they were leaving and being flushed out of Jerusalem and spreading all over to hang their heads in shame. And man, we're never going to have a church like First Baptist of Jerusalem. We're never going to have that kind of worship, that teaching, that fellowship, that community hanging their heads because of the opposition. But what about this? Think about this quote. Sometimes God uses opposition for multiplication. Sometimes it takes a force like that on an existence like that to spread things out all over. And this opposition doesn't necessarily just have to equal isolation. It doesn't have to equal condemnation or confusion or disillusion or depression or immobilization. But in our lives, that's sometimes how we feel. Sometimes we just equate church success and personal success with goodness and sunshine and green lights ahead. But what we see from this example is God used and multiplied the influence even though it was difficult and there was a lot of opposition. Sometimes it's not just opposition, sometimes it's just a change of position. Sometimes it's not the dandelion being kicked Sometimes it's just gently picking it up like my daughter used to love to do and just blowing on it softly. And that's kind of God's way of spreading us out. And we've got something that we like to call gospel goodbyes. And man, if you're a part of a church ministry and maybe some of you have experienced that, maybe you're new to the area and you're just checking out Northwest or you've had to leave another church before because you were relocated. It wasn't anything bad or awful, but it was a new opportunity that you felt like God wanted to, you to walk into and you had to have a gospel goodbye. God uses those to spread his goodness as well. I want to show you a picture up here of somebody who we had a gospel goodbye with not real long ago. Perhaps you remember this family. You remember the Morrows? Some of you that have been around for a while, they started coming about three years ago. That's Ryan over there, and that's Beth. And by their own admission, when they started to come to Northwest, they were relatively immature, weren't really sure what to do next or where to plug in. But man, this family just dove in. And Ryan was a part of our early morning Bible study. He was involved in discipleship. Beth was involved in discipleship. And there came a time where they said, we feel like the Lord wants to move us back to Ohio. And I said, that's impossible. It's Ohio. No offense to anybody in here. But no, we really feel like this is what God wants. And so in a very real way, this church and this goodness was blown upon by the Holy Spirit. And the church scattered. And they replanted up there. Love this next picture too. This is a beautiful moment. And I remember it well. As Ryan baptizing his wife. Getting all choked up just talking about that guy. But you know what's so cool about the gospel goodbyes? And how the church is scattered? Even though we love these people and I would have loved to have him stay here and plug in here and be a part of things. 
is they took what they learned here and what God taught them here and how they grew up here and they replanted it in a tiny little church up in rural Ohio. And Ryan sent me this big long text because I texted him this week. I said, dude, you came to my mind when we were talking about the church scattering. You came to my mind. I just want to remind you I love you and I miss you. What's going on? And he just sent me back one of those texts that's about 18 bubbles long. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I hope you're on iMessage doing that because I can't possibly imagine you know, doing that. And voice to text just wouldn't work. It's way too long. It's going to be too many mistakes. But anyway, so here's what he said. He said, hey, man, we plugged into a church here. They've been gone like a year. They have no idea what we're doing. But here's what he said. He said, we wanted, when we plugged in, we wanted Acts chapter 2 to be our playbook. Isn't that a cool thought? That's exactly what we're going through. He said, we had our dinner with our young pastor, and we've been full of speed ahead ever since. He said, we are starting a men's early morning Bible study, studying the book Disciplines of a Godly Man. For anybody that's been around, that's exactly what we did last year at Men's Fraternity early in the morning on Tuesdays as we studied Disciplines of a Godly Man. He said, Beth is involved in leading a brand new group for young moms. She was involved in our group called The Village, which is a ministry to young moms. He says, we are going to roll out some new training for life groups with a lot of material that I got from Matt, Matt Rice. And he said, and we are also going to mold a membership class called 101 after the Northwest model. He said, my family feels like our years at Northwest were a boot camp preparing us for his next task. Isn't that awesome? And I thought about that and I'm like, man, you know what? God's just got such a way to be spreading us out and spreading his gospel, even though in our minds, in our desires, we want to be together. Like we love this group and we're comfortable and we know these people and we're familiar with them. But what the Lord is saying to us, especially here in Acts chapter 8, is the real change in lives does not necessarily happen within these walls. The real change happens out there. When the church is scattered, not when the church is gathered. And this is great, and we love it, and we're going to keep doing it, and do it to the best of our ability. But of course, God's going to use the church here and use this, and people are going to get saved, and, and Lord willing, all that's going to happen. But when the power is in the hands of the people... And you are flushed out of this place into your places of employment and residence and influence. That's when the real change happens. And so that's what we're going to be diving into here from the life of Philip. Because it wasn't in Jerusalem sitting in a pew next to somebody where he shared the gospel. It was out away from the comfort out in the world. So... How does the scattered church become unstoppable? How do we become irresistible? I've got five points here all taken straight from the text in Acts chapter 8. So I encourage you again to turn there if you're not there already. And we're just going to kind of plug through the passage and draw out a couple of these things and see what the Lord would have for us to do about it. The first thing, the scattered church doesn't forget the forgotten people. We don't forget the forgotten people. Okay, remember 2,000 years ago, this idea of ethnicity in your people group, in your family group, was very prominent. It wasn't any surprise, typically, what nation or tribe somebody was from. Right here in America, especially, it's a little bit more confusing. 
because many of us have many different backgrounds and influences and whatever else, right? Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. Anybody else got some Irish in them like me? Okay, lots of you. Good, good. Right? But we, we understand like histories and blending in and coming over to America and whatever. We're all, a lot of us are mutts, right, in a very real way. Not so much back then. What's going to be happening here is he's going to come upon somebody who is from a very particular background and a very particular person. Let's go ahead and start reading in the text and so we can see what we're talking about. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27 and he, that is Philip, rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is really important for us to paint this picture, because Philip was having, like we talked about last week, a fair amount of success in Samaria, Right? The Lord was really using him to perform some miraculous signs. It says many people were coming. They were listening to him. He went around to all the different towns of the Samaritans. People were coming to faith. There was great things happening. And then yet an angel of the Lord would lead Philip away from the success to go out to a desert place. And you have to ask yourself the question, why would he do that? Maybe God wanted to show him instead of ministry to the crowds, I want you to experience ministry to an individual soul. It's that important. These are forgotten people. Why? Number one, it says he was Ethiopian. Okay, all the commentators agree that this was a dark-skinned man. This is a black man. From Ethiopia in that time, present day, Sudan from the Nubian kingdom, it's called, right? But so this, these were Ethiopians, and they were dark-skinned, different culture, different nation. And it also says that he was a eunuch. Okay, a eunuch was, of course, somebody who was not able to procreate. So this was a male official, and he was either born that way, or he was made that way. And he was in charge of taking care of um, the treasury. He had a high responsibility. He was always around the queen of Ethiopia. And obviously in some of these kingdoms where everything would rise and fall based on the bloodline and everything like that, they made sure that whoever was going to be around the queen was going to be a eunuch. And what's really interesting about this, guys, is that it says he was coming from Jerusalem where he was going to worship. And what's so fascinating about this, you talk about this guy being an outsider. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 1, it talks about nobody who has a physical defect can go into the inner courts of the temple. So in other words, if you were maimed in some way, if you had some sort of physical defect like he would have, you weren't even allowed to go in where the worship took place. And in addition, he was not a true Israelite. He was a foreigner. Foreigners were not allowed to go past a certain gate into the area to worship. So what do we have here? We have somebody who's coming back, going back to his hometown. He's dejected. He's confused. He's been denied access about this God that he's heard so much about and traveled a long way to find out about. 
And yet the angel is saying to Philip, you need to go to this person. It would be easy to forget about him. It would be easy to think he's unreachable because he's not like everybody else. But that's not my plan. The scattered church doesn't forget the forgotten people. Number two, the scattered church is sensitive to the Spirit's leading. I think for many of us, if you're anything like me, a lot of other people who's not the one that I'm sitting with that I've arranged lunch with or my family or my friendship group or whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm focused on, whatever's clouding my mind and, and engaged with, everybody else seems to be more like background noise. It's easy to forget about the server and the dishwasher and the host or the hostess or the person that's coming to do your yard or, or your exterminator or the salesman or whatever else. It's easy to forget about all of them, right? But the Lord is saying to Philip, nope, you need to, you need to go to him. Don't forget about him. Number two, uh, you need to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading because he may have something in store for you. Verse 28, keep on reading. It says this, and he was returning, seated in his chariot as he was reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 29. Notice this one. Underline this one, church. Do whatever you need to do to highlight this. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Are we sensitive to God's leading or are we so consumed with our own agenda that all this kind of blurs out? I'm wondering maybe even if for Philip, as he was there in the first half, he's preaching, he's doing all this great stuff, big crowds are coming, and God's like, nope, you know what, I've got an individual for you now. Desert place, quiet, away from the cities, and I'm, I'm honing in on just one guy and the Spirit saying, that's the guy I want you to go talk to. I know for me in periods of my life, it's so hard to, to sense that God's doing something because I just can't get quiet enough. I just can't get away enough. There's so much noise that blurs the equation. I want to do good things. I want to share the gospel. But man, church, if we could have that mindset that says, okay, God, will you lead me to speak to somebody this week? I'm open to that. I wonder what would happen. As I thought about this week and as we thought about the next couple of weeks, we really wanted to challenge you guys specifically with something here this morning. I want to challenge you if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning just to take a second to clear your heart, to clear your mind, and to ask God to bring the names or the faces of three different people that you've had the privilege of rubbing shoulders with in your workplace, in your family, etc., that don't know Jesus. Let's just think about that for a second. And let's just be quiet for a second. And I'm telling you, if we just take some time and create some silence and clear our mind, the Lord will bring people to, to our hearts. But I literally want you to write down the name of three people. I want you to stare at those blanks. If you're in life group, tied in with us this week, you'll get an opportunity for that as well. But I really want you to think about who are three people that need to know Jesus. And Lord, I need you to bring those people to my mind. And the second step is what we see next. The very next part of the passage in verse 30 is, is this next point. The scattered church is also going to make an effort. I don't just want God to say something to me because the Spirit could have said something to Philip. He could have been like, ah, okay. But no, he made an effort. Verse 30, keep on reading. What does it say? So Philip ran to him. Anybody here like to run? There's some of our community right now that is running in the tobacco trail marathon this morning. Back then, people didn't run for fun, for the most part. 
But you can tell there seems to be such a sense of urgency for Philip. It's like, oh, that guy? You're telling me to go talk to him? You've prepared that in advance? Okay, and he ran up to him. We don't know if he was even running alongside the chariot or what everything really even looked like, but we do know that he made an effort. It says in verse 30, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? And I love the response that the eunuch says, verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Number four, the scattered church uses scripture to transform uses scripture to transform. Let's keep on reading in verse 31. And he invited Philip to come up in and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth. Quoting from Isaiah chapter 53. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Notice verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The scattered church understands that the word of God is really the standard of truth that it takes to bring somebody to Christ. It's not even just your testimony, your faith story. It's not a cute little TED talk. It's the word of God where the truth is contained. And unfortunately, we have to ask if you were given that opportunity. Again, this is for followers of Jesus. I know there's some people in here that are just checking things out and would say that you're not even a Christian We want you to know that you are welcome here and we are glad you're here. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you were given that opportunity, would you be able to open up God's word and point to verses and share and explain what it means to know the gospel and respond to the gospel? It's a very important question for us. Philip was ready. Are each of us prepared in our lives? And guys, what I love about this account is that God was already working on this eunuch. Did you notice that? He had already had a number of experiences. He already had a copy of scripture. He was already reading it out loud because that's the way they did it back then. And so God led Philip along at just the right moment when God had already been working on him. And here's the thing for us is is you think about those names of people that you're not sure they know God or not and you're going to be open and say, all right, Lord, by your strength, Give me the boldness. Give me the courage. I'm looking for an opportunity. I want to be aware. I want to be strengthened. All of those things. You know what? God may already be working in their hearts. That's one of the greatest things I think about what we're doing for these three weeks with these 50 other churches, like-minded churches in this triangle region, is I may have a neighbor and I may share the gospel with them or something. They may work with somebody that goes to another church. And God's going to use all kinds of different angles to make these questions pop up in people's minds. And I love where the scripture says, where Jesus even says, look out under the fields. They're white. They're ready for harvest. But we don't know if we're going to be planting seed or if we're going to be the ones like Philip who was able to share it at just the right time. And the man responded. The last one, number five, the scattered church sees the world explode with joy. The scattered church sees the world explode with joy. 
Continue reading on in this passage. The man obviously understood. The man responded. In verse 36, it says this. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Notice verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that a crazy passage? You see the same idea several other times in scripture where Philip was there, shared, baptized him. That's great. Next thing you know, he's gone. Shows up miles away. It's crazy, right? But we see parallels between that and even the life of Christ. Because remember when Jesus was on the Emmaus Road talking to the two men and, and, and he shared the gospel with them and they didn't understand that it was Jesus himself. And then they had supper together, they broke bread together, same thing. Their eyes were opened, Jesus disappeared. It's an incredible passage, but notice the joy in this man's heart. He was so excited about his newfound faith, he's like, there's a pond right there. Any reason why I can't get baptized now? Man, I think that would be a great question for anybody here, by the way. If you belong to Jesus, I want you to notice he didn't wait 10 years or 15 years or even one year. He didn't go through a bunch of different classes, all right? I'm not saying it's not good to know what baptism means and understand it. But man, right here, he's like, I'm a follower of Jesus. There is no reason why I shouldn't get baptized right now. And he did. And he went on his way rejoicing. And guys, what's so sweet about this, just by way of closing, is... You know, if, if he would have just read, as I'm sure he did, a little bit further on in the book of Isaiah, we kind of get such a beautiful picture of redemption. Because again, he was blocked out of true worship, right? Because he was a foreigner, because he was a eunuch. But check out what it says just a couple of chapters later in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 4 and following. This is God speaking, and he says, Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, this guy perked up like, wait, what? To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 6, and to the foreigners who join themselves with the Lord, who minister to him and who love the name same thing. I will bring them to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Do you get that? He's saying, you are now fully invited in. This new covenant is one where everyone's invited. It doesn't matter your lineage. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your ethnicity or your background. Everyone's invited in. And I just love that redemption in his world. And you know what's great? You know where he headed back to? Ethiopia. And you know what Ethiopia was known as in that time? This is secular sources. This is not, you know, biblical sources. This is well known 2,000 years ago in that part of the world. You know what Ethiopia was known as? The ends of the earth. The uttermost parts of the earth. What an incredible foreshadowing that we see. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. There's the promise. Jerusalem. Holy Spirit came down. Judea in Samaria. Philip was right there going all throughout Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the earth. 
The gospel was spreading because somebody responded to the Spirit's prompting. But I do just want to close with a couple of questions that I want to ask you, some action steps, some application questions. Who are some individuals that you've been privileged enough to rub shoulders with and have influence with that you want to share the gospel with? You know, reality is, guys, for some people, you can invite them all you want to church. They may never come. 50% of people or more will never step foot inside of a church. They're suspicious. They've had weird things happen in their family. They're just, they don't want any part of it. 50% of people. It's going to be us going out to them, the church going out and interacting with them. Who are those three people that God has put upon your heart? Who are some of the forgotten people in your life? For many people, you go out to lunch on Sunday or throughout the work week. What about that waiter? What about that waitress? What about that host? What about the other people you interact with? Man, can we be a church that looks people in the eye and asks them about their name and actually listens when they give us their name and asks about their story? Could it be that God has been working on them and, and they're frustrated and they're isolated, they're alone, they're searching, and we may be the answer to a prayer of somebody else that knows that person and wants them to hear the gospel. I was having lunch uh, a couple of months ago with, uh, with the camp, campus pastor over at the summit, my good buddies over there, and, and he did something that was so cool, and uh, this was actually like a year ago or more, and I've picked up on it. But basically, you know, when the server came over and said his name, you know, my buddy said, hey, you know what, we're about ready to pray for our food. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? And I just thought that was such a key thing. And this guy started to share about, well, I've got several kids and don't, not really making enough money to take care of them and, and their mother's gone. And all of a sudden the floodgates were open. This guy's life was wide open. And we were able to share the gospel with him. Right there at International House of Pancakes. Can we be a church that does that? Can we be a church that's open to that? Are we quieting ourselves enough to hear the Spirit of God prompting us to do that? We're getting ready to end in a song here. It's called No Longer a Slave to Fear. And I'll speak honestly, even though I'm a pastor, there's an element of anxiousness in taking that next step of the gospel other parents on the soccer team or neighbors or other people that I meet or interact with taking that next step there can be a level of fear what are they going to think about me but church we're just praying that over this next month and beyond in the same way that God brought so many people to himself through the scattered um, church same thing will be true of us and that we'll have some incredible stories we don't want to be slaves to fear any longer we need that boldness we need that courage let's pray that that happens let's stand up together i'll pray for us as we get ready to sing our lord and our god we just love you and we thank you for who you are we thank you god that you've given us that same holy spirit that you gave two thousand years ago we thank you, Lord, that you've enabled us to be bold, to be strong when we didn't think that there was anything there. And Lord, may we be the kind of church that just milks that for all it's worth and will be shocked and amazed when we step out in faith to see what you will.
will do through us. So we love you, Lord, and we just thank you for this account. May we go out with joy. In your son's name we pray. Amen.